0: Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 930 a.m. or 1115 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. We're going to pick it up in
1: verse 35. Uh, and, and if you notice, that's quite a bit of verses that we'll be reading. If we're reading the remainder of this chapter, uh, the sermon won't be that long, maybe. Uh, the next day, uh, so, so John the Baptist, he was standing with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, or behold, here he is, the Lamb of God. And so the two disciples heard him say this and followed. Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, well, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus gives an incredible Jesus answer. He said, well, come and you'll see. And he replied, so they went and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. I want to pause for a second, and I want you to notice the significance because how the Bible always is very detailed in its literature. You won't find uh, fictional literature that's going to be this detailed where they're talking about four in the afternoon. You're not going to find that in in, in, in fiction work and historical fictions, uh, ancient fiction writings, all right? You will find that in the Bible. So this is gives us a pretty accurate view of uh, some of these guys account okay they were there they knew it was around four o'clock in the afternoon I just all right, I thought that was incredible verse 40 Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard John and followed him he first found his brother Simon and told him hey we found the Messiah which is translated the Christ and he brought Simon to Jesus when Jesus saw him he said you are Simon son of John And you will be called Cephas, which is translated as rock or Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, uh, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip then found Nathanael and told him, hey, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and also the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And I love this. These last few verses are one of my favorites. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see. Notice that constant invitation. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Truly, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. I mean, that's, that's a good question. You've been creeping up on me? That's not what it says. How do you know me? And, and here's what, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, and I'm quite sure chills ran up this boy's body, Rabbi, you know, like suddenly like, oh, okay, you've been watching me. You are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, "Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." This is incredible. I can't wait to get to that. So here we have a, this is a this is an account of how Jesus is first meeting his disciples. All right, so now we finally get into the life of Jesus, and it's introduced to us in an incredible fashion, fashionable Jesus, fashionable way here. Jesus is doing the same thing that Jesus does best, and that's seeking to save the lost. This is exactly Jesus' method of operation here, and this is exactly what he came to do to seek and to save the lost. And so, John the B gives us this incredible announcement. He says, Behold the Lamb. Now, have you remember last week, John the B said the same thing Behold the Lamb. John's got one message and he keeps it on repeat. Behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. Now, I don't think in today's culture that would draw a lot of crowds. If I came now, actually, I do have the same message every week. I just try to fool you into thinking it's different. I just kind of rework a few words here and there. I don't I don't know if if I said the same exact thing every week, every week, every week Some of you probably be like, bro, can you at least study and give us some kind of fresh, divine, new revelation from Scripture or something? But here's John the Baptist. He's got one message, and that's, look at Jesus. And here's the funny thing that I find um, interesting about their culture that's very different from ours. If you study the life of John the Baptist, especially in this time in his ministry, revival was breaking out in the wilderness, There were people flocking from all over to hear one single message. Behold the Lamb of God. I'm curious in our culture, because I I understand our culture is a lot different than, than that is. How many people would be coming to someone who just kept on saying the same thing? Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. I don't think that's going to draw crowds, but church, listen to me very carefully. We have one message In one message alone, and that's behold the Lamb of God. Look at Jesus. That's our message. That's it. Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Don't look at me to help you. Look to Jesus. Now, I'll try to help you. All right, we talked about that last week, but look to Jesus because he is our help and our refuge. Look to Jesus. That should be our message. That should be everyone's uh, message Uh, as believers. And so notice that this pattern here is that gospel proclamation is taking place. John the B proclaims the gospel. And watch this now because this is incredible. People followed. This is going to become a theme in the New Testament when it comes to gospel proclamation that both men and women are going to follow after Jesus simply because of gospel proclamation. Don't miss that because that's critical. People will follow Christ because of his method which happens to be gospel proclamation. Here's John the B laying it out for us. Here's what your purpose is in life, gospel proclamation. And he does this and look what people do. They follow after. They drop John the B and they go after Jesus here. So when they leave John, um, they, they go follow Jesus. And so they'd probably been with John to be for quite some time. And so leaving him, is, it's got a lot, a lot of weight too. And so these two men, that go after Jesus, the beginning of the story here, and they find something that's being offered to them. They find something that's being offered to them, not just to go follow Jesus, but the invitation that's being offered to them from Jesus. So we have gospel proclamation. And now we have an invitation on the table that Jesus gives, and only Jesus can give. He says, come and see. Now that's incredible. Not so much that he's saying, come and know everything about me. I I always love to see what's not implied in the text. He does not say, I need you to understand everything first and then come follow me. I don't need you to get yourself together, boys, because he's going to some roughneck jokers. He doesn't tell them, look, I need you to be like some of the religious scholars out here. Get right in your theology. I need you to understand all of the deepnesses of, I don't know if deepnesses is a word, but (laughs) I need you to understand all the depths. There it is of the scripture before you come and follow me. Jesus is like, no, just come, see. Tim Keller says that uh, this insinuates that Jesus is just asking him, hey, just come and just think about what I'm doing. Just come and examine. Like, come and watch me. Come and listen to how I talk. Come and examine how I live. It's not, a, it's not an invitation for you to do exactly what I'm doing right now. I just need you to watch me. I just want you to come and see. I just want you to come and examine. And I love like these guys that he that he presents to us in the scripture. Some of these first disciples that Jesus gives this invitation uh, to. Uh, he, he calls he calls our boy uh, Andrew, who's one of the first two here that he calls, and the other disciple. And you can argue among yourselves who you think that is. I think it's John the writer here, John the apostle. Andrew is uh, first and called. And so Andrew's so convinced that this is uh, the Messiah, this that's the one that's been longing for, that he goes and he finds Cephas, which is Peter. Now, this is an interesting thing, because why would Jesus give Simon the name Cephas, which translates as rock, when Peter hear me now, is nothing like a rock. He's rough. He's incredibly emotional. He is a narcissist. He is just a rough joker. Why on earth would Jesus call him something that he is currently not? This is because this is what Christ's call does to us. It sees you beyond yourself. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He sees Simon more than Simon knows about himself. He knows Simon so much because he knows who Simon's going to become because Simon will become like this rock because he will be like a foundation for the early church that where many followers, thousands of followers will go to this emotional wreck of a life And he will be one of the fathers of our faith. Jesus sees him. And he gives him the invitation. He says, yeah, Peter, you rock. I know you're like a little child. I know you're a failure. I know you mistreat people and you got a mouth like a sailor. I know you. (laughs) But I see who I'm going to create inside of you. I see who I'm going to make you become. Because this is what Jesus does. He sees us beyond where we are right now. And then I love this dialogue when Jesus comes to this other guy. They they, they go to, they're like, hey, we got to go to Nathaniel because this guy, they go to Nathaniel, like, hey, we found Jesus, which is actually incorrect. What did the Bible say? Jesus found him. So Nathaniel doesn't quite have his theology, right? Doesn't quite have a good biblical understanding, yet that's not even needed. You don't need to be a biblical scholar to proclaim the message of Christ. You don't have to have the title of pastor, insert your name, to proclaim what Christ has done for you. You don't have to be a a deacon. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a, a ministry leader. You don't have to be any of those things you can just be like our boy Philip who has no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Hey, we just found him. I don't know how, but we found him. And I'm sure Jesus is like, no, bro, that's not how it happened. I found you, but that's okay. You're still my disciple. I still love you, even though you got some terrible theology here. So so he goes to Nathaniel. He's like, Nathaniel, we found him. We found the Messiah. And I love Nathaniel's, I love his response. It's like, dude, nothing good comes out of that town. Shut up. So here's what happens and what most people think uh, Nathaniel was doing, that when people would go under a fig tree, that most of the time they would do that to meditate and to pray. So this guy's a thinker. This guy, is he kinda, he's kind got a little bit of an understanding about what's happening and, and about the Messiah to come. He's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. That's not how I've been studying things to come. Jesus certainly wouldn't come from that small town. Certainly he wouldn't be this little redneck from uh, Bethlehem, population of at least 400. It's true. I mean, just think about Jesus in our day and culture. He'd be coming from Hughley. Some of you that live in Georgia, you don't know where Hughley is. That's okay. <laughs> I'm originally from Hughley, and I asked the question: Can anything good come from Hughley? <laughs> <laughs> so you got to understand, like Nathaniel, he's he's on it. Like, surely it couldn't happen from there. I mean, those jokers are rough, and their small town mentality—they they just don't fit the mold. And then Jesus, displaying. His omnipresence, fully God, fully man. He looks in the face and he said, Man, I saw you before you even saw me, man. Boy, I locked my eyes on you, and I got gotcha. you. <laughs> now, I don't know if he said it like that, but that would be kind of cool. You know, like, you got me. Dude, you're a creep. You're the Messiah, right? And he's like, You're the rabbi. I'll follow you. Sure. Yeah, that's great. This is incredible. So my question that I want to do just in the next 15 minutes, if I can, is just to ask the question, what does it mean to follow after Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Now, the word disciple here, so Jesus here in this text, he's calling his disciples. And so Jesus here is calling his disciples. Now, here's what a disciple is. A disciple was one who would come under the authority of their teacher or their rabbi. And so Jesus is calling them to come under his authority. Now, here's what our job as a disciple is, first and foremost, is that we come under the authority of Jesus. Now, here's where things kind of get a little out of of whack, especially for me, is that we don't like that idea. We don't like the idea of there being an authority over us. But what we have to do is come to the conclusion that there is only one ultimate authority, and that's God's. Throughout the Old Testament, he would proclaim that I am God. There is none before me, none after me, and I do what I please. In Daniel chapter 4, this is crazy, Daniel 4, uh, 35, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. Thanks for the encouragement there, Daniel. We appreciate that. And, and he, God does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say his hand or say to him, what have you done? (laughs) Now, here's what the problem is. We don't like that image of God. We don't like the image of God who has the ultimate authority. And here's why. Because we have our own authority and our own authority is ourselves. Now, now, before you get ready to stone me, here's how I know this is true. You speed, and some of you speed aggressively because number 1 maybe you don't think you're going to get caught, or number 2, you have defined authority and what authority is in your own life. Uh-oh. <laughs> Now, I'm using examples that apply to me. I ain't talking about none of y'all, okay? And I'm talking about my wife, too, because she speeds. <laughs> There's something that's, that's been embedded in the American ethos that says, I have my rights, it's my choice, and I'll do whatever I want to. Now, some of you parents are not helping that at all. You know why? Because you'll tell your your little Johnny, if your name is little Johnny. I don't mean any offense to you. You'll you'll tell your kid. You're like you don't tell any. You don't have anyone. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You see how this is like embedded. Now I hope some of you parents aren't doing that, but I've heard this. All right, and I know some of you teachers have probably felt this. Some of your teachers are like, I'll tell my mom and dad, and then mom and dad are like, who do you think you are talking to my child like that? Now, when my kids come home and they complain about the teacher, I'm like, oh, let's let's break it down real. Uh-huh. It I know the real problem wasn't the teacher, <laughs> because I know you. <laughs> so I ain't one of those parents, <laughs> right? We, we are so offended by that there has to be some ultimate authority over us because we just don't like that idea. We want our way. We want it. We have our rights. And I'm not talking about human rights. All right? I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just saying you want things to go how you want to go. I'm talking about the demonic fallacy that has crept up in our culture, the spirit of narcissism that is within all of us. I mean, this is me. I'm talking about me. I don't want nobody pulling me over. I don't want nobody questioning me. I don't want anybody telling me that I can't do this. Because you don't know me. I do it right. You're the one in the wrong. You know what I mean marriages fail because of this? And then we'll say things like, and Mer and I, we've witnessed this so many times. We're like, well, I just felt led to, and you could fill in the blank, and you can, I tell you, we've heard it all. Well, I just, felt, I just felt led that God was leading me out of my relationship with my spouse. By whose authority? Your own. Well, I was just led. My heart was telling me. The heart that's so deceitful according to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Yeah, but I know I've been trying to memorize my scripture. Because I got to counter some of this stuff, y'all. I hear it all the time. So we don't like this authority because we want our our wants to be known and we want it to be done. But here's what a disciple is. A disciple is not one who's coming up under the authority of yourself. A disciple is one who's coming up under the authority of Jesus. So my question again, what does that look like? Just five quick things, I promise. I've got nine more minutes. Just five quick things. What does a follower of Christ look like? Well, this is a call to surrender. So so once Jesus finds Philip, he issues a single command. It's just, hey, follow me. Follow me. Put Jesus in the center of your life. So here's Philip. He's abandoning everything, life, family, his career, all of it. He's surrendering it all. He's like, this guy is the Christ, and I'll abandon my life to follow him. Graduates, I think this is remarkable that this message fell upon the day that we would be honoring you. Listen to me, following Christ looks like a full surrender of yourself. And surrendering your life to Christ, into his authority. Now I know that's like a surrender of so many things. That's a surrender of your wants, it's a surrender of... I, I, Everything, your desires, it's a surrender of it all. And that's very complicated and difficult in our culture, especially in a culture where it's just becoming waterboarded on us. Like, no, it's about you. It's about you. And I I watched this this week. I want to warn you. I may rant. I'm going to try not to. But my heart is so troubled by by this week. I, I just can't help it. I mean, you come to church, you should all know how we we have a stand on abortion. And it is murder. And, and it's just been so fascinating to watch our culture just kind of spiral out of control and just be pushed so far into the darkness. Please hear me if you have had an abortion. I'm not talking about you. In fact, we love you and we know there's grace. Here's what my problem was this week is how all of a sudden there were calls for your rights, your choice, you, 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 you. And so I watched uh, the news and I was watching, I was watching, I'm a, I, I, I do Twitter because it's some great comedy, great <laughs> sermon, and it's really good sermon illustrations uh, if you want to know the truth about it. Um, I watched some of the things, and I wrote down some of the things I was reading where people were blasting the recent bills. One person said, coming to a state near you, uncontrolled births and staggering population increases. Like, oh no, right? I'm just like, bro, listen to what you're saying. Some of this stuff is, it's, it's hilarious, but it's, it's very, very haunting. Men need to speak up for pro-choice because abortions help keep you out of poverty. They help keep you in school and further your career. They help you, 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 you get out of uh, an unhappy relationship without being tied to that person forever. One man wrote, I'm so glad my girlfriend murdered, and that's how I can only say it, our baby because pregnancy just didn't fit her lifestyle we were just too busy with our careers and too busy with our hobbies <laughs> do you understand what culture is telling you this demonic foul lie from hell and it's all about you it's all about you yeah. oh oh, you're uncomfortable well murder the child Oh, this is inconvenient. Oh, we're so sorry we inconvenienced you. <laughs> it's, it's madness. And he says, Asinine, I was sitting there just like pounding my head on the table like, are you really seriously saying this? Like, will you listen to yourself for a moment? There was, there was nothing said about the health of the mom, it was just all about the inconveniences that god forbid a child would bring you and i could amen that children are so inconvenient i mean no offense and all my parents like you should have like shouted right there if willie were here he would have amen me You have to it's it's all about following Christ with surrender. Now here's one of the things that that I often hear, well, can I surrender? Can I follow Christ and dot 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 and fill in any gray area? Can I follow Christ and smoke? Can I follow Christ and drink a glass of wine? Can I follow Christ and still listen to my music? Can I still? can I follow I mean, and you'll you'll hear all these kind of crazy things and what it just becomes really crazy because it starts sounding like, some follow Christ looks like this moral, incredible person that doesn't watch R-rated movies except for The Passion of Christ, and you just kind of look like this weird person. Here's what I would say the danger of that is, is that you have attached something to, can I follow Christ, dot, 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 and that's the problem. It's not necessarily wrong that you have the glass of wine or that you smoke the cigarette. I mean, you could smell that disgusting if you want to. It's not that you want to, I mean, I got this asthma problem. I can't take it. Um, It's it's not that uh, there's anything wrong with watching uh, an R-rated movie. Those things aren't wrong. I'm not trying to sit here and moralize everything and give you a to-do list. The problem is that when you can't abandon that and you have to say, can I follow Christ? I don't really want to abandon this. That's the issue. But a call to follow Christ means you surrender everything over to him. The other thing that a call to follow Christ looks like, uh, it's a call to tell others about Jesus. So Philip follows Christ. He doesn't go to seminary. didn't go to cemetery. didn't go to get baptized. He didn't immediately join a church. I you know, just like all right. I'm all cards on the table now. I'm all in. And the radical, the just how radical it gets is so crazy. Immediately he just be, he has to go tell people about it. Following Christ is a call for gospel proclamation. It has to be. It's our message. It's not that we are have a message of some type of social issue, although there is a time and place for that. Our message is that Christ has redeemed. That's our message. And so the call on all of us, regardless if you have uh, the right accolades, regardless if you go on to seminary, regardless if you are the pastor, your job is to proclaim as a follower of Christ the gospel. The other thing here is a call to find your place in the body of Christ I mean I had to throw that in there in, in Paul's first letter now I know I just said that they didn't immediately join a church but I want to hear I want you to hear me out on this Paul's first letter to the church uh, at Corinth Corinth uh, he calls the church the body of Christ in fact that's in first Corinthians uh, chapter 12 he, he begins to explain how each person has this unique gift and from all of the uniqueness that's on the table. Then it creates this functioning organism called the body of Christ, with Christ as the head, and then the body functioning like they're supposed to be. When you are following Christ, I encourage you to like to read the Bible because you will find that there is a call in your life to be a part of something that's bigger than you, something where you, you're you not separated from because you are a part of this body. Some of you, what Paul would later on in that chapter say, some of you are the fingers, are the feet. Some of you, you, you are the heartbeat. Some of you, you are the eyes, the ears. Some of you are the pinkies. Some of you, you're the rear ends. And you are. I'm just trying to be honest. That's, I think that's my spiritual gift. Uh, but we all have a part. And so when one of us is not acting out in that part, then watch this. The body is handicapped from fulfilling all that God has called her to be. So following Christ, the call to follow Christ means you are a part of the body of Christ. I'm not advocating church attendance. I'm not advocating for you to join the church. I'm advocating for you to be a part and belong to a body of believers. Because I think we can get those things confused. You have a gift that God has given you, and they're all unique, and you have a part to play in this. So following Christ is that, here's a couple other things for us This is going to sound depressing, but I want you to hear it. Anytime I preface something like that, I promise it's going to get better. The call to Christ is a call to die. Not a physical death. I just, I need to say that. John 3 3 says that unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven This is not a call for you to have a physical death. Okay, this isn't. We're not ready to pass out the Kool-Aid. Okay, not. Please don't drink the Kool-Aid. This isn't a call for any of that. This is a call for you to die to yourself, die to your sin, die to your sin nature, die to your flesh. This is a call to abandon your life. Abandon what America has tried to give you this extravagant lifestyle. Abandon that. Follow Christ. Abandon even the American dream that would tell you to gain more. Have success. But what if the call of Christ is for you to abandon that? For you to die to yourself, and, and, and hear me, I'm talking to myself, okay? I ain't talking to neither one of y'all. I'm talking to myself, because I know how difficult that is, because I have my desires. Again, I told you, I, I guess I'm just narcissistic, all right? I guess I've come to a counseling session this morning to discover how narcissistic of a person <laughs> <laughs> that I appear to be, all right? So, but I've got to die to that. Those desires I have, got to die to it. However, the call to Christ is not just about death, but the call to Christ is about a life that he has for us. And we'll later get into this, but John 10.10 10 says that the life that he has for us is abundant life. Not just eternal life, but life here now. So if you you walk away just hearing doom and gloom, I've got to abandon everything. It's what the preacher said. But listen to the great news in it. You get to walk into the life that Christ has for you, which, hear me, is far greater than the life that this culture and our world can grant to you. Because this life that the world has for you will not satisfy you. Only Christ can do that. I know the secularist and the agnostic and the atheist would love to argue that, but I have found my only joy in life. Even in the sufferings that I have come to, that the thing and the one that sustains my soul in the darkness that I find myself in sometimes is Christ and Christ alone. Because where there is darkness, there is always Christ's light shining. Where the darkness is in our culture, as dark as it may appear to be, I have great hope because there's the light that shines, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Here's what I know, and I'll and I'll say this, uh, and I guess my full rant will be over. Um, when I I was by some of these comments that I made earlier, I was both discouraged, but I was also encouraged by it. Because here's what I know is coming to the church. Some pretty bad stuff. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm not ready to do the bunkers yet. Although, it's pretty pretty cool. You guys should watch that show that comes on where they do that for a living. Nobody watches that show. Okay, I guess I'm weird. All right, me and Quint Quint got it. Not ready to start a compound. Those are weird, and they always end up weird. Never join one. But anytime there is opposition to Christ, the church flourishes because of people who are willing to die for themselves and to die for Christ. Follow Christ. Here's the message and the invitation Jesus gives us come and see. Just come and see. You don't have to have it all together. Just come and see. Come and examine Christ. Come and think about Christ. Come and watch Christ and how he moves through the scripture. He doesn't say, come know about me. He just says, come follow me. I'll show you. I'll show you the way. Let's pray this morning. Father.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.